morning, everyone. Um, our reading today um, comes from Luke six, chapter uh, verse. Sorry, Luke, Luke chapter six, verse twelve. So, have you got this Bible? Um, it's on page one thousand and thirty-three, and the, um, the plainer Bible is on page seven hundred and twenty-nine. On those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was also called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. When he went down with them and stood on a level place, a large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be treated of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Love, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Blessed are those who curse you and pray for those who treat, ill-treat you. For if someone strikes you one cheek, turn to him or the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? when even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, 
and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. I'd like to lead us in prayer before we look at this passage, so please join me. Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for the teaching of our Lord and Saviour Jesus, and we pray that as we consider his words now, that uh, you would be uh, shaping us to be uh, your people, your family, uh, who bear your family resemblance in the way that we live. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One thing I've noticed in family life is that children tend to bear the resemblance of their parents. And uh, I'm not just talking in terms of the way that they look, uh, that's obvious, but, but in their habits, in their attitudes, in the things which, things which they're interested in. Um, our son Andrew... Uh, enjoys discussing politics and law, as do I. Our, our daughter Alyssa uh, loves being creative, as does Cassie. And so uh, when we're together as a family, you'll find Andrew and myself huddled together somewhere uh, trying to solve the problems of the world, and then Alyssa and Cassie are actually doing something which is useful and uh, making something... <laughs> making something creative, uh, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter, like parent, like child. It shouldn't surprise us, should it? It shouldn't surprise us that children should resemble their parents. But what about uh, when the family we belong to is the family whose father is God? Um, for in today's passage... Um, that is actually uh, right at the very end of the passage. That is how we are described. Uh, where Jesus describes someone who, how someone can become a child, a son or a daughter of the Most High God, have God as their father. And if we belong to the family of God's people, what, the, what should there be about us uh, which might cause someone else to, uh, to know us and to think, well, I can see the family resemblance there. I, I wonder if perhaps that person's a Christian. I wonder if that person, because they seem to be a bit different, they seem to be, well, uh, like God. Um, what is it about that? What is it? How can we be distinctive in that way? You know, in the Old Testament... Um, God called the nation of Israel to be his special people, his, his family, if you like. And uh, Israel was made up of, of how many tribes? Of 12 tribes of people, 12 tribes who were descendants of the 12 sons of Jacob. But the nation of Israel was only ever a, uh, a pointer to a future reality, a spiritual reality, uh, of a people who would be the true people of God. Which in uh, Luke chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles there, uh, Jesus begins the process of creating. Now, I want you to picture the scene. Jesus has gone by himself up the side of a mountain where we are told by Luke 
that he spent the whole night in prayer. Wow, how about that? Have you ever been up for the entire night praying? Many of us have been up for the, to- in f- for the entire night looking after babies. I've been up for the entire night writing an essay that was due in the next morning. <laughs> but I must confess I've never actually uh, done an all-nighter in terms of prayer. Uh, not even close. Uh, although the, the times when I have spent uh, the longest periods of time in prayer have been when I have needed guidance for a life-altering decision that was to be made. And here, Jesus is about to make a decision. For below the mountain, at the foot of the mountain, uh, there is a a great uh, mass of people, a great crowd of people who have gathered. And uh, they comprise of two types of people. Um, Firstly, in verse 17 there was a large crowd of disciples. Now, the word disciple uh, simply means some who, someone who is a follower of another person. These were people who were followers of Jesus, at least loosely so. And then there was also a, a, gra- a great crowd of people who were not his disciples, but they had heard about Jesus And they had come, they had been drawn to Jesus. They had come from a a very wide geographical area from around the countryside of Judea and from the city of Jerusalem and also as far afield as the the cities of Tyre and Sidon, which are uh, in modern-day Lebanon. And many of these people were unwell and had come in the hope that Jesus could miraculously heal them from their afflictions. And so what we have here, this is, not a, this is not a boutique crowd. This rather is a picture of humanity, of some who are followers of Jesus and others who were suffering and who needed his help. And as Jesus arose from prayer that morning, He called a a smaller group of his disciples to come up the mountain and from amongst them he appointed 12 of them to be called apostles. Now, apostle is different to disciple. Uh, An apostle will always be a disciple, but a disciple will not always be an apostle. Disciple means someone who follows Jesus. Apostle, the word means someone who is sent, someone who is sent with a message. For these are the ones who Jesus would later send out into the whole world with the message of preaching the gospel. Uh, All of them, um, except for one. For the last one named is Judas Iscariot, who Luke tells us became a traitor. Now, we can't imagine um, Jesus has spent the entire night in prayer. And we can't imagine how much he wrestled in prayer on that night, knowing that he would choose, that one of the men that he would choose would be used by Satan to take Jesus to the cross. And so we see his agony um, beginning right there in that decision to appoint Judas uh, as an apostle. Judas, who would later be replaced with a disciple by the name of Matthias uh, to make up 
the number 12. Because 12 is important. 12 leaders of God's people, 12 apostles, just like the 12 tribes of Israel. And as Jesus comes down the mountain, uh, not dissimilar to Moses coming down the mountain with the new leaders of Israel to the great mass of people gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai. Because Jesus is creating a new family of God. So then, uh, what will this family be like? How will their values, their behaviours, their their actions, uh, how will they be different to the world? How will they be different to those who do not belong to this family? How then should we be different? How should you and I, as God's people, as sons and daughters of God, be different uh, to the world in which we live? In our culture, <clears throat> uh, what, what do you think of, uh, or what do people in typ- typically think of when they think about the good life? Uh, what, is, what does it mean to be living the good Australian lifestyle, the typical good life? Well, how about this? And there's a whole big discussion to be had on this topic, but how about this? A healthy bank balance. That's good, isn't it? Good food. Uh, I mean, these days, some people are even described as being foodies um, because they love food so much. Happy times and having people who love us. And, of course, there is nothing wrong with uh, any of these things. It's not great to be poor or to be hungry or to be sad, or to be unpopular, to have no friends. And it's that which makes what Jesus says next seem strange. As he now looks out upon this large crowd, particularly those who are his disciples, and he, he describes for them who are, who are the ones who are truly blessed, who are the ones who are, you know, represent the good life, as it were. Now, check it out in verse 20. I'm going to read a little bit of this for us just to refresh our memories. Verse 20, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject you, your name as being evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. So the people who are blessed says Jesus, are those who are poor, those who are weeping, those who are hungry, those who are hated. Whilst those who are to be pitied, which I think is what the word woe means here, are those who are rich and well-fed and laughing and, and are popular. Why is that? I mean, that takes about, you know, what we think and turns it upside down, doesn't it? Um, in that crowd, on that day, there would have been people who believed that if you were rich, 
then that is because you were obviously godly because God was blessing you. Except, of course, if you're a tax collector. Uh, Whereas the flip side of that being that if you were poor or sick or blind or crippled, or, then you were obviously sinful and you, because you were obviously not blessed by God. And this is one of the reasons why, well, this is the reason why the disciples themselves later had difficulty understanding, you know, wrapping their heads about what, around what Jesus was saying when he said well, that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Or in John's Gospel, chapter 9, when they, they met a man who was blind, but he had been blind since, since birth, and they couldn't figure it out. Well, you know, if blindness is because you're sin, because you're not being blessed by God, then, well, how come blind from birth? I mean, whose sin is he being punished for? His own sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, you got it all wrong <laughs> on the topic of sin and disability. What Jesus is saying here is that the truly blessed person is the one who loves God regardless of anything else. The one who loves God more than he or she loves the world or even loves his or her life. I mean, uh, if we uh, belong to God's family, although there is just so much that we enjoy about this world and enjoy about life, uh, we will also experience a um, a particular uh, type of Christian dissatisfaction uh, with life. Because we ought to be people who mourn. We should mourn, shouldn't we? We should be people who mourn, who mourn over sin. Uh, sin in our own lives and the effects of sin in our world. We should be people who grieve that, uh, that God is not honoured in our world. We should be people who weep uh, for the lost. And regardless of whether we are wealthy or poor, whether we are well-fed or hungry, regardless of in Jesus' day whether we were an outcast leper or a repentant uh, Pharisees such as Nicodemus, what we do know is that regardless of our circumstances, rich or poor, that we belong to a different family and that this world is not our home. We have a heavenly home, a heavenly home which uh, determines the values by which we live now as we trust in Jesus And as we seek by our obedience to God to bear his likeness, to bear the likeness of the Father in our lives, the way we think, our attitudes, our behaviour. And sometimes being like that um, can make us unpopular, can't it? I mean, Jesus here says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, because that's how their fathers spoke about um, you know the prophets of uh, you know the false prophets of old, and uh, you're blessed when you're persecuted because they used to persecute um, the prophets, the true prophets that way. Uh, being godly, bearing the image of God's uh, of our heavenly Father, is not going to make us popular. 
In fact, in verse 22, Jesus talks about us being hated and excluded and insulted and rejected because of Jesus, because of him. I remember back in the 1980s, it's a long time ago now, there used to be a, uh, a slogan that some people put on the bumper bars on their cars when we used to have bumper bars, proper bumper bars, and the slogan that went, if it feels good, do it. Can, we, can, can I hear that again, please? If it feels good, do it. Do it. Okay. That was the, you know, the attitude back in the 1980s, and I think the, the attitude has evolved since then, because if we would have a similar bumper bar sticker nowadays, it wouldn't just say that, it would say, if it feels good, it is right. In fact, uh, those who object to it are wrong, even evil, even evil. Now, do you sometimes feel like, as Christians, uh, simply trying to live a godly life, that we've now become the bad guys in society, that we're sometimes even considered to be immoral <laughs> because of our views on things and how we live? Or, as, you know, often it's just we've feel we just don't belong. Uh, a friend of ours, a Christian lady, was sharing with us, Cassie herself, about what it's like for her in her workplace, where she is the only woman in the workplace who has not committed adultery. Now, you'd think they'd think, well, she's a great woman. No. Uh, so she, she, the other people think that she's strange and in a disparaging kind of way, like she's somehow missing out on life. Imagine if she actually dared say something about sin and judgment and the need to repent and find forgiveness. See, as I've said before, without God, uh, life is like a conveyor belt for people, a conveyor belt which ends in, in death and nothingness. And so for many people, uh, the you know, it's about enjoying the journey on the conveyor belt, uh, living life the way that you want to live. If it feels good, do it because it's actually right. And this journey on the conveyor belt, well, it's, it doesn't get any better. This is as good as it gets because the end point is death and nothingness. And even if there is a God, he doesn't care how we live. So if it feels good, that's actually right. But God does care and life does not end when we die. And in verses 20 to 26, uh, there will be a day when the, the pleasures of the ungodly and the suffering of the godly will be reversed. For there will be a day of judgment. And that uh, actually encourages us, it encourages you and I, to keep on being godly, to keep on bearing the, the likeness of the Father in our lives in a world which is hostile to our Father, is hostile to the family to which we belong. But we must not be hostile towards the world. In fact, uh, Jesus tells us here that we must be the opposite to that. Um, check it out, there's a summary of it in verses 27 to 28, uh, where he says, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. I mean, that's, that's strange, isn't it? You know, there's this, this church sign I, I saw a while ago which, uh, at the front which said, Love your enemies. It'll really mess with their heads. <laughs> and uh, I, I think this mess, it messes with our heads as well. This doesn't it? It messes with our heads because this is just not natural. It's not natural. And the reason for that is that we've got a, a wrong view of love. Uh, for we think that, uh, that we're being godly uh, when we love our friends. Uh, when we love those, when we do good to those who do good to us, when we bless those who bless us, we think that we're being uh, loving. And, and that is loving. That is loving. Don't stop doing that. <laughs> That's a good thing to do. But in verse 32, Jesus points out that that kind of love is just normal love. <laughs> That's normal love because in God's kindness, God, there is still plenty of love in the world, isn't there? Imagine living in a world where there was not, where people didn't even love those who were lovely. That would be hell. And you don't have to belong to God's family to love like that. It's easy to love those who love us, but that is not distinctive Christian love. There are many stories that uh, we could share. But, I, I mean, I was moved a few years ago um, by a particular court case uh, where a man was on trial for murder. Um, he had uh, one day walked into a church, uh, in the, um, which was having a midweek Bible study group happening there at the time, and he uh, joined in with their Bible study. They didn't know him, but he... They welcomed him in. They said, come and join us if you'd like. And uh, there they were studying the Bible with this man when he pulled out a gun and opened fire and started killing them. Remember that? In the courtroom, um, families of the victims were given a chance to speak to him directly and tell him what they thought. They could have told him to rot in hell. They could have told him that. And yet, through their tears and their quivering voices, the message that came through was one of love and forgiveness. Love and forgiveness. And that is a dramatic story of which type. There are many examples, many examples of that, that kind of Love that's just extraordinary, that's unnatural. And it's, it's distinctive Christian love because the first time we see that kind of love was on the cross. When Jesus called out to God his Father and prayed for those who had just nailed his flesh to the crucifix where he was hanging and dying, and ask God to forgive them. That's love. And it's that same, very same love which has actually enabled sinners, sinful people like you and me, to actually 
be able to belong now to God's family. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, the Apostle Paul who once hated Christians and persecuted Christians, but in Romans chapter 8, 5, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. And Paul goes on in verse 10 to say that we were once God's enemies whom God has reconciled in relationship back to himself through the death of his son. As on the cross, Jesus paid for our sin. Now, how can we describe that kind of love? What words can we use? Unheard of? Undeserved, unexpected love. It is this astonishing love by which God's new family has come into existence, has been created, of which you and I should bear a resemblance. Now, how can we do that? Well, we pray that we would never have to stand in a courtroom and speak to someone uh, who has killed our brother or our mother or our sister or our wife, as those people did. But um, that's dramatic stuff. But this is real life, ordinary day-to-day, pedestrian kind of stuff for us as well, isn't it? Because uh, in everyday life, we will sometimes find ourselves being wronged by someone. <laughs> it happens, doesn't it? it happens frequently. And uh, uh, one of the, there are so many ways that it happens, but uh, just for example, the, the accusing email which someone on their keyboard has just uh, launched like a missile uh, directed straight to your heart. And how do you feel? Or the unkind and uh, damaging comment on social media about you about something you hold dear, where the common response is, is retaliation. Uh, to fight back, to, to do the same thing back to them, to point out their deficiencies and to put them in their place. And it's emails, social media, that's just an example um, because this is not limited to those things, this is in all of our relationships. Um, the people that we work with, the people who we go to school with, the people we, who might serve us at the shop and perhaps treat us rudely, or the person on the road who treats us rudely and so on. There are so many times when people treat us badly. Now, um, there are, of course, uh, it's true that we, we don't just have to be doormats. Um, and th- there are... Uh, there are times when it is right for us to um, seek to protect ourselves uh, or to raise complaints uh, and to correct wrongdoing. Of course, Jesus himself, when he was hit on the face, when he was on trial, then actually challenged them for what they had done to him. What we're talking about here is the attitude of our heart and how that finds its expression Uh, in times when we feel that we have been wronged by someone. 
And personally, uh, when I have felt wronged by someone and, am, and I'm about to respond, I try to ask myself this question. And the question is this. Will the way that I respond to what has been done open up an opportunity for me to share with the person about the love of Jesus? Or will the way I respond just shut that down completely? Will it shut it down? And I guess the deeper question for all of us is when we are wronged, how can we respond in the same way that God in Christ has loved us? So that the, the other person may see something of the image of God in you and me, in us. Well, I remember once uh, when a friend <clears throat> uh, met my daughter Alyssa for the very first time, and uh, he was, she was with me, and he looked at her, and he looked at me, and he said, no. Nah. <laughs> said, Scott, you obviously didn't have very much to do with the gene pool here. <laughs> well, what about you? Are you so different to the world that people can see the family likeness in you? Or are you so much the same as the world where people would think, no, nah, I can't see God in them? Will you be like those who people can recognise that God is your father and you are his child, particularly when it comes to loving your enemies? I think we need to pray, don't we? Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your uh, great uh, love, which is unconditional and it's so extraordinary, it's uh, something which we find difficult to comprehend, uh, that you would love us so much that you would send your son to Jesus to die for our sins. Though we were your enemies, that you have now by his death and resurrection made us your friends, indeed your sons and your daughters. Father, may that, uh, that DNA of the gospel um, be who we are as people, and as we interact with our world, not loving our world, but loving our enemies, that they might come to, fight to see in us your love in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.